Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome back to our series, The Full Armor of God. We are here, what I would, you know, you've heard the expression, the dog days of summer. The beginning of the year always seems to be the dog days of winter when people are getting over the holidays and settling back into a routine and the weather's been up and down. Is it going to be ice? Is it going to be snow? So we're looking forward. Plus, you know, the whole huge surge of every new variant that comes along the way. In fact, that's why Jessica is in here this morning. She got sick just two days ago, tested positive, has all the symptoms, so you can keep her in your prayers as she's recovering. So we've been shifting things around, trying to make sure we cover all the bases. Well, when we finished up our Growing in Christ series back before Advent of last year, we took a high-level look at the armor of God in a message that I titled, Never Go Into Battle Undressed. We decided to expand that message to an entire series on how God equips us for battle to start off 2002, and we seem to be having a glitch. There we go. 2022, rather. In 2022. Now, some years ago, I was traveling in the Middle East on business in the UAE, the United Arab Emirates, and I was there long enough so that I had to leave the country for a week before I could come back in. So I hopped on over to the Kingdom Island of Bahrain, where I also had some business to take care of. And I was staying at the Gulf Hotel and Spa, which was arguably one of the finest hotels in all of the country. Everything was gold-clad, including the clientele of sheikhs and princes who arrived on a daily basis from Saudi Arabia. The only thing out of place was me in my Levi Strauss 501 blues. Everybody else was dressed rather differently than me. The place was seriously phenomenal. They had lamb's brain on the buffet. Tastes like overcooked pasta. Don't recommend it. Right? They had a pool. In fact, all of their pools were refrigerated, not heated, because it gets so hot, they actually have to refrigerate the pools to make them comfortable to swim in. Now, I was managing to blend in as best as I could, and I was trying my hardest to remain under the radar. And I don't think, because, uh, you know, I, I didn't really fit in like the rest of the clientele and the guests that were there until it happened. I was sitting in my hotel room with nothing to do, and nothing was on TV other than four Muslim clerics discussing the Koran in Arabic or your other choice, which is a game of cricket, which made no sense to my American sense of sports whatsoever. And it goes on for hours, sometimes days. When for no apparent reason, I got up from the couch wearing nothing but a pair of short white gym shorts. And I went over and I looked out the peephole of my door. And I noticed across the hall, sitting on the floor on top of a tray of, of return dishes, was a USA Today newspaper. I hadn't seen any of these the whole time I'd been there. What is a USA Today newspaper doing in the middle of Bahrain in a, in a hallway in a hotel? I decided I had to have that paper. So I wanted to get over there before the cleaning people came to, to pick up all the trash. And so that's what I did. I opened the door and I looked both ways to make sure no one was coming since I was only wearing this little thin pair of gym shorts and nothing else. And rather than go all the way back into my room and get the hotel key, I did a rough calculation of how fast I could make it across the hall to get the paper and get back in my room before the door shut. 
Everything was going according to plan. I had just reached and retrieved the paper and turned around for the return dash when I heard the worst sound I could possibly hear, the distinct sound of my door closing and locking with me on the wrong side of the door. I had to go down to the lobby where an entire party of princes and sheikhs and women all dressed in black from head to foot with grills were checking in in nothing but my gym shorts. Now, there was a lot of things that they were saying and they were all pointing in me in my direction. I'm pretty sure it wasn't good. I thought about hiding behind the plants, but I didn't see this ending well. American arrested stalking lobby in gym shorts. So I played it off as though I was coming from the pool to get something from the desk. Hey, how you doing? Nice day out there, isn't it? They were not happy to see me, and I had no ID to verify that I was even staying in the hotel. All I needed was a room key. Let me tell you, they were more happy to get me out of the lobby or as happy as I was to be out of the lobby, so they gave me a key. From that day forward, I never leave my hotel room without my key in hand. Why? Because you never go into battle undressed. Well, let's read the scriptures we'll be considering for this series this morning. Finally, my brothers, in the Lord, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for the Lord's people. So before we begin and we get into the meat of our conversation, I wanted to let you know if you missed a message, any message, and you want to catch up, you can always do so by going to ffcsermons.org where you can listen online, you can download those messages, you can listen via podcast. You can also go to www.ffcph.org, click on the live tab, click on any previous message on YouTube or Facebook, and re-watch them. So let's pray this morning and we'll see what God has for us. Father, we come into your presence and we thank you. Not only do you save us, but you equip us. You equip us to stand firm, to stand firm in your righteousness. You give us the truth in your word. And Father, we thank you that we can reach out to you and connect with you anytime we need to through prayer and that you are always there. Father, be with us this morning as we open your word. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Well, why do I need to be equipped for battle? Ain't nobody bothering me. I mind my own business. I stay below the radar where no one will notice me. 
Yes, you do. You need to be equipped for battle. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, then you have switched sides in a cosmic battle, and you are quite literally behind enemy lines. You are in Satan's domain. Let's develop that idea for a minute. Paul says in his letter to the Ephesians, he says, Once you were under God's curse, doomed forever for your sins, you went along with a crowd and you were just like all the others, full of sin, obeying Satan, the mighty prince of the power and power of the air, of the power of the air, who is at work right in the hearts of those who are against the Lord. All of us used to be just as they are, our lives expressing the evil within us, doing every wicked thing that our passions or evil thoughts might lead us into. We started out bad, being born with evil natures, and were under God's anger, just like everyone else. In this text, Paul describes Satan as a prince. As a prince with power, because he has authentic power in this world. John says in his first letter, he says, We know that we are children of God, and that all the rest of the world around us is under Satan's power and control. This power was given to him by God. When Satan was tempting Jesus in the wilderness, he said to Jesus, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to whomever I want. He wasn't bluffing. Now, he had stolen that, but he wasn't bluffing. Jim, you're beginning to scare me. Well, well good. Hold on, because it, it gets a little worse before it gets better. Did you know that as the prince of darkness, Satan has power over some illnesses? If you recall, as Luke did, on a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up. Jesus heals her. A few verses later, Jesus said, then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on a Sabbath day from what bound her? You don't think you need to be equipped for battle? Satan has power in this domain. Really? You'd better think again. But here's the good news. The reason Satan is called a prince, prince of the power there rather than a king, is because there is only one king. Jesus Christ, amen? Only one king. There is only one supreme Lord over all things, over all the world, and that is God. And if you are a believer in Jesus Christ and believe that he came to conquer sin and death and to set us free by dying in our place, then this promise is for you from 1 John 4, 4. My dear children, you belong to God and have defeated them. Talking about the enemy and all of his minions because God's spirit who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Amen to that? Yeah, you better believe it. Amen. We are told in the Old Testament that this whole concept of dominion was shared with Adam and Eve. Man was given dominion over the earth. They were to be, in essence, God's regents, vice, vice, uh, vice principals, vice uh, presidents or so, reigning over the earth for God. And of course, we made a terrible mess of things. And uh, just, just blew the whole deal. 
But that power of Satan was dealt not just a significant blow, but a fatal blow by Christ in his incarnation. We're told, first of all, that God the Father gave to Jesus all authority in heaven and on earth. After Jesus' resurrection, he appears to his disciples, and he said just before he assigns them the task of evangelizing the world in his name, he says in Matthew 28, 18 to 20, what we know is the Great Commission. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. In his ascension, Christ is seated at the right hand of God, where he is crowned as King of kings and Lord of lords. That was a tremendous blow to the worldly uh, or satanic powers, principalities, and spiritual weaknesses, uh, uh, wickednesses in high places. The one who is in dominion is undoubtedly the Lord and the Lord alone. The Lord God omnipotent reigns, and the Lord Christ reigns over this world right now. His kingdom is not of this world, and that's why we need to be equipped for battle while we're, we are here, but it ultimately includes this world. And Jesus has all authority over heaven and earth. What's happened briefly is this. The power and authority of Satan has been dealt a fatal blow by Christ because of the cross, the incarnation, the resurrection, and his ascension. Tremendous weakness has been dealt to him. He no longer enjoys what he enjoyed, and annihilation will eventually be his. That will come later. Christ has weakened him, but he hasn't annihilated him yet. That comes later when his redemptive work is complete. All things will be brought into captivity to him, and every knee will bow to him, including the fallen angels who will bow in submission to his authority. So until that time, how do we dress for success, if you will? One thing is for sure, you never want to go into battle undressed. You want to put on the full armor of God. Now last week, Bill did a wonderful job talking about the belt of truth and that it is much more potentially than a belt as we think of a belt. Much more like a garment of strength that we use to gird up our loins with. That's what we use this belt of truth for. Now the dictionary defines gird as this. It's a funny word, gird. Nobody uses that word much anymore. It means literally to encircle a person or a part of the body with a belt or band. It also means to prepare oneself for something that's difficult or challenging. They are girding themselves up for the upcoming court case. Bill described it as kind of like a support tool that weightlifters would use, like you see in the Olympics. They put on this big leather belt to help strengthen their back as they lift those incredible weights. Anyone who has ever worked in a warehouse knows you wear a belt that is kind of like a harness that goes over your back to help you while you're lifting heavy boxes. It's a big, thick belt that goes around you and has a harness that goes over your shoulders to support your back. This belt helped the soldiers to stand their ground and flexed with his core strength in the heat of battle. The belt of truth that Paul refers to becomes our strength as a core uh, and a core as a believer. So living by God's word, wrapping God's word tightly around us provides just the support that you and I need. It's reliable, it's trustworthy, and it's stable. 
After all, this is what Jesus taught in John 8 when he told his early followers. Jesus said to them, You are truly my disciples if you live as I tell you to, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. How does the truth set you free? Did you know that Satan is the accuser of the brethren, of you and I? That's what John calls him in Revelation 12. He says, Then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens. It had happened at last. God's salvation and the power and the rule and the authority of his Christ are finally here. For the accuser of our brothers, that's you and I, we are the brothers, has been thrown down from heaven onto earth. He accused them day and night before our God. He is like a cosmic tattletale, just standing up in heaven waiting to say, look, look at what that fool did. See, 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 look at that garbage that you've, you've decided to associate with. And so he can whisper in our ear, you're a failure. You'll never be any good. You'll never break the bonds of that addiction. You're hopeless. I'm going to tell everyone what you did so that they know. You'll be ruined when I'm done with you. But the truth can set you free. 1 John 1.9 says that we confess our sins. He will forgive us our sins because we can trust God to do what is right. He will cleanse us from all the wrongs we have done. You see, we get to beat him at his own game by telling on ourselves, if you will. It's, in, it's the same way in real life, too. I have a security clearance. Anyone who has a security clearance knows that if you tell the government about your shortcomings and about your failures, they will let an awful lot slide. So long as they know. Why? Because since you have spoken the truth about yourself, it can no longer be held over your head as something by which people can try to manipulate you or shame you into doing what they want. So that the enemy has no more power over you, whether that enemy to be uh, domestic or foreign. So the truth sets you free. Free to be forgiven. Free to start over. Free to stand your ground. Because when someone comes and says, I know what you are, you can say, yep, you're absolutely right. I am those things, but I've been forgiven. I've been forgiven. I've been washed by the blood of Jesus. That truth sets me free. Jesus said, he who has been forgiven much loves much. Yes, everything you say about me is true, but I've been forgiven and washed by the blood of the Lamb. Paul tells Timothy, he says, God did not give us a spirit of fear that makes us afraid, but a spirit of power and of love and of self-control. Let's go back to that verse in Revelation. Because it says that he has been thrown down from heaven. The NIV, and the NIV says he has been hurled down. Now, I don't know what the writer had in mind, but when I read the word hurl, I think of hurling. I think it sounds to me like he was vomited out of heaven. God just wanted to get that mess out of there. And I know I feel much better after I hurl, right? You feel so sick. My mouth begins to water. I get this sort of tingly sensation in the back of my mouth. I know I need to get to a bathroom soon because I'm going to hurl. But as soon as I'm done, oh my goodness, when that evilness or whatever it is is out of me, I feel so much better. Proverbs says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For through wisdom your days will be many, and your years will be added, and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, your wisdom will reward you. If you are a mocker, you, you alone will suffer. So what's next? We stand firm with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. 
and then with the breastplate of righteousness in place. Well, what is a breastplate? Well, as the name implies, a breastplate, or the breastplate of the Roman soldier was worn over the chest or torso. And uh, although at times they were made of leather, the breastplate worn by soldiers in Paul's day were typically made of metal, made of iron, and they were held together with leather straps. They weren't the one sort of single piece that we think of when you think of armor like from the, the uh, medieval times. It was plate armor. The Roman soldier's armor was a scale armor. And the Roman military breastplate was made of overlapping bands of metal held together with these pieces of leather that tied them all together. This made that Roman uh, breastplate more flexible and, and maneuverable in battle, more so certainly than the kind that the knights wore in medieval times. The scale armor of the Roman soldier was much lighter and more flexible than the suits of armor worn by medieval knights. A Roman soldier had to run 24 miles in five hours while wearing his armor. I doubt very much that a medieval knight wearing a full suit of armor could run five miles in five hours. The type of breastplate construction helped the Roman soldier in the field of battle. Their flexibility enabled them to make quick maneuvers and changes during the course of battle. What was the purpose of the breastplate? Well, it helped protect the soldier's vital organs, such as the heart, the lungs, the entire digestive tract. If any of those organs were damaged, death would soon, uh, soon follow. So the breastplate was obviously important. With that, in, with that in mind, let's move on to see how the spiritual breastplate, breastplate is used for Christians in spiritual warfare. First, the righteousness that we wear is not our own. This isn't us trying to do our best to be accepted before God. We can't. We are simply incapable of measuring up to God's standard of righteousness. Isaiah tells us this, We are all infected and impure with sin. When we put on our prized robes of righteousness, we find they are but filthy rags. Like autumn leaves, we fade, wither, and fall. And our sin, like the wind, sweeps us away. This is where God's grace comes in. And he clothes us in his own righteousness. If you go back to Isaiah 59, you will find a description of God putting on an armor, a, bless, a breastplate of righteousness, and a helmet of salvation as he stepped in to save Israel. When we put on the breastplate of righteousness, it is God's own armor that he is giving us. And it fits. It fits to a T. Do you remember when David came to visit his brothers and he saw Goliath? Everyone, including King Saul, and all of David's older brothers were afraid to fight Goliath because he was a giant. Some say as tall as 11 feet, <laughs> not David. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that should defy the armies of the living God, is what David said. He stepped up to the fight. When he did, the king put his own armor on David, but it didn't fit. Way too big and cumbersome, and it slowed him down. David said, I can't, I can't go into battle in these things. I'm not used to wearing these things. So he took them off. And all he took with him was a sling and five stones. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. That armor, 
the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel. That was the breastplate of God's righteousness. And God's armor will always be a perfect fit for us. And that is intimately connected to with the belt of truth. Paul says in Ephesians 5, he says, For you were once in darkness, but now you are but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. They're linked together and find out what pleases the Lord. The belt of the truth is Scripture, the Word of God. We put on the belt of the truth by reading, studying, and learning what the Scriptures say. The breastplate of righteousness then is the right way of living that comes from learning and obeying the truth of Scripture. And when I say comes from, I mean it is a natural byproduct of the Word of God infecting and changing our lives, conforming us into the image of His Son. Paul says earlier in this same letter to the Ephesians, he says, but amongst you there must not even be a hint of sexual morality, of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. What does that mean? Well, I think it means... In one case, if you are not married, you do not spend the night, even in separate rooms, at your boyfriend or your girlfriend's house, regardless of your age. Oh, man, I know he just didn't say that. Oh, yes, I did. You see, there is a major difference between understanding the truth and living the truth. There is a difference between being able to quote the Scriptures and know the Scriptures and know Bible facts and actually living or applying them to how you live, especially when they cost you something. But the price is worth paying because he's got your back. You remember the Pharisees? They were Bible scholars. They were experts of the law. They had the entire Torah memorized, the first five books of the Bible. They prayed and sang the Psalms. They could recite passages from the prophets. But the group of religious leaders, that group of religious leaders, disagreed pretty much with what everything that Jesus said and taught. And it is for them that Jesus reserved his most scaling rebukes. In Matthew 23, Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead man's bones and all uncleanness. And this was strong language. To us, it doesn't sound that way, but, but he was cussing them up one side and down the other, really kind of, if you want to think of it that way. These were strong words. They would have been highly offended. Even so, also, outwardly, you even so all outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. They appeared outwardly righteous. They appeared righteous to others. They had all the right words and all the right actions and all the right behaviors. But Jesus said to them, it doesn't matter what you look like on the outside. All that matters is what you look like on the inside. What does your heart look like? Because that's going to affect your life. This is what the breastplate of righteousness is for. Just as this breastplate was made of many interlocking strips of metal tied together with these uh, little leather strips to protect, our vital, uh, to protect vital organs of the soldier, also the numerous passages of Scripture we have, when they are rightly applied and understood, work together as interlocking truths to protect the vital function of our lives. They become a breastplate for us. Scripture teaches the desires of our heart. It keeps the desires of our heart on the right track so that we desire the things of God rather than the things of the world. In other words, to wear the breastplate of righteousness, we have to protect our hearts, the center of who we are, by keeping our conscience clear. 
Scripture allows us to, to properly digest and comprehend the things we experience in life so that these experiences can be used to guide and direct our lives as we are conformed into the image of His Son. And properly protected and informed by Scripture, our godly desires, the indwelling Holy Spirit, will take our life experiences and convert them into the righteous living that God wants to see. When God gives his breastplate of righteousness to us, he is saying no matter what you have done and no matter what you will do, your ledger or balanced, your accounts are correct. You are justified because I have given you holiness my holiness to you. And it is on the inside where it counts. And as we follow the truth, it will work its way out in our lives as a shield. But of course, God doesn't give this righteousness to everyone. Paul states repeatedly in Romans and Galatians and other places, God gives his righteousness only to those who believe in Jesus for it. But the breastplate of righteousness is also a day-to-day righteousness that God expects and desires all Christians to live by. It is living a holy life. We work out that salvation on a daily basis. So how do we put on the breastplate of righteousness? How do we make sure that the the free gift of God's positional and imputed righteousness become the protection, become the practical truth applied to our lives? How do we make sure that God's declaration that we are right with him truly becomes how we live? Since there is a difference between being declared right and actually living right, how are the spiritual realities of righteousness from God, how are they to become the practical reality in our daily lives? The breastplate of righteousness, remember, covers the vital organs of our body, such as our heart, our lungs, our our intestinal tract. So when we seek to take up or put on the breastplate of righteousness, we seek to protect the vital and essential elements of our life as a Christian. We seek to protect our heart and its desires. We do that by maintaining contact with the indwelling and purifying work of the Holy Spirit as we maintain a pure conscience before God. We make sure that the spiritual food we eat is healthy for the growth and development of our spiritual bodies. The biblical practices of confession, of purification, and of repentance help us to maintain righteousness and holiness in our lives. The first letters of those three terms form the word, the, uh, the, uh, the acronym CPR. I didn't come up with that, but I thought it was pretty cool. So I figured I'd steal that one. I like that. Confession, purification, and repentance. Easy to remember. Which is interesting because CPR is the practice of reviving a person when the heart or lungs have stopped working. The breastplate protects these vital organs, but you can restore them to proper function through spiritual CPR. Heart attacks often recur as a result of a bad diet, but we can get a heart beating again, lungs breathing again through spiritual CPR. If there's an area in your life where you're having a spiritual heart attack or where you're about to be drowned by sin, God wants to get your heart beating, your lungs breathing again through spiritual CPR, confession, purification, and repentance. These three practices will help us achieve and maintain a practical righteousness as God works in our lives through the Holy Spirit. Let's briefly consider each. Confession. There's a lot of confusion about confession. People wonder, who should, uh, what should they confess? Uh, how should they confess? Who should they confess to? 
And there's the question of confession. How is it different than repentance? You know, I, I grew up Catholic for the, the first early portion of my life, and, and I never knew what to say when I went to confession. So before I had to go to confession, I would just make up a whole long list of sins, whether I had done them or not. But I was always sure to end that list in lying was on there. That way I was covered for everything that I had just said that I knew was a flat-out lie because I couldn't remember what I had done. I was covered for it. The basic definition of confession is that it occurs when you admit, admit or agree something you did, something you said or thought was wrong. And when we agree, we admit or confess that a behavior was wrong, this stops sin dead in its tracks. Quite often, we do things as Christians that are wrong. We know we're not supposed to lie, to, to lust, to steal, to covet, but sometimes in a moment of weakness, those things happen. Afterwards, the Holy Spirit works with our conscience to convict us of sin. The Spirit points out that what we uh, already know was wrong, and we need to confess that. And if we agree with the convicting work of the Holy Spirit, then we confess our sin, and the sin does not take further root in our lives. John is teaching that when we sin, God often points out to us that what we did was wrong. When this happens, we are faced with a choice. We can either agree with God and that our actions were wrong and then turn to the truth. Or we can disagree with God and continue in our sinful behavior. If we agree, then we are released from the potential addiction and destructive behavior that sin brings with it. We are cleansed we are made righteous in Jesus. However, if we choose not to confess, then we are likely to continue in those destructive behaviors. Sin will sink a hook into us and drag us down deeper into its clutches. Yeah, but you don't understand how strong this addiction is. Well, then I got good news for you because God is way ahead of you. Listen to what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians. He says, but remember this, the wrong desires that come into your life aren't anything new and different. Many others have faced exactly the same problems before you, and no temptation is irresistible. You can trust God to keep the temptation from becoming so strong that you can't stand up against it. For he has promised this and will do what he says. He will show you how to escape temptation's power so that you can bear up patiently against it. It happens. Let me tell you, you've got to be listening for it. You're ready to do something you know you shouldn't. Maybe the phone rings. I think that's God saying, hey, escape ramp, take it, take it while you can. He'll give you a couple chances before you fall flat on your face. Purification. With purification, we're talking about a change of lifestyle. James says in his letter, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Imagine that. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. While confession is necessary when we do something we know is wrong, purification is about setting a whole new course for our lives. I read these verses earlier to you from Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It starts there. A knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. The belt of truth. For through wisdom your days will be many and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, your wisdom will reward you. It will work out in your life as a... As a a shield of righteousness, a breastplate of righteousness. If you are a mocker, you alone will suffer. The process of purification is never-ending cycle of becoming more and more like Jesus until we are in his presence and see him face to face. And finally, repentance. People who cancel their sins will not prosper. People who conceal their sins will not prosper. But if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. 
Repentance in Christianity means a sincere turning away from what we were doing. It is the turn from in that verse that we just read. It involves a change of mind and a change of heart that leads to a change of direction. Paul says, begins with the renewing of our mind, the radical turning away from a course of sin. And people who truly repent recognize God the Father as the most important factor of his or her existence. These three taken together, confession, purification, repentance, will keep you outfitted with God's breastplate of righteousness as the word of truth, the belt of truth, becomes more cemented in your life, as you become more and more familiar with those scriptures. And if you're feeling like you're out there unprotected, the easiest way in is to say, God, I want in. I want to be fully equipped. I want to be shielded from all the crap I see around me. I want to know I can walk through life knowing I am protected, knowing I have already won, that stronger and greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Lord, I confess I've done wrong. I've sinned. I've screwed it up. Come into my life. Remove that sin from me. Be Lord of my life. Work in me. Give me a belt of truth. Give me a breastplate of righteousness. Give me feet shod with the gospel. Give me a helmet of salvation and a sword of faith. Father, we ask these things in your name, and he will come in and change who you are today. You will be set up on a new foundation with a new direction in your life. Faith Fellowship, stand with me as we close with just a benediction today. Faith Fellowship, as always, I like to end by saying, know that God is for you and not against you. Have a good day in Jesus. Amen.